All right, may you please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, verse number 24. Luke 7 and 24. And today, continuing our series in the Gospel of Luke. We are going to be covering, by the grace of God, verses 24 down to 28. But just by means of reminding you what we covered last week, John, his his faith was rattled just a bit. Given his circumstance, sitting in a prison... We, we really can't fault him much. I think all of us would have asked the same question, if not more, right? Should we look for another? John the Baptist had not fallen into full-on unbelief, but the faith was rattled. Jesus sends some proof, a message back to him through some messengers in verse 23, just to remind you, blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in, in me. So John, just hang on. I know you're a bit rattled, but, but I am the one everybody has been waiting for. John, just, just hang on. And then we're going to see in verse 24, when the messengers of John were departed, he began to speak unto the people concerning John, what went ye out into the wilderness for to see? So Jesus now, he's no longer talking directly to John. He's not talking through the messengers to John. Now he's going to talk to the crowd about John. And, and I, I just want to point this out. It's not the theme of my message. It's just worthy of mentioning that John had a bad day or week or month. His faith was rattled. But do you see that Jesus did not give up on John? Immediately after saying, now send message, tell John, hang on, stay tough, hang in there. He turns to the people and offers maybe the greatest compliment that Jesus gave anybody during his lifetime. The things that he has to say about John, top shelf, top shelf. Maybe you've been going through a rough patch. Maybe your faith has been rattled. Maybe you've begun to believe that lie of the devil that because you've gone through a rough patch, the Lord doesn't love you. And there's a difference between, and and I'm, I'm using last week's sermon a little bit, there's a difference between somebody that is walking with God and going through a rough patch and somebody who hasn't been trying and then asked these kind of questions because it is the natural outcome of a lackluster life. You understand there's a difference. And, and the person that's really putting in an effort and then hits a rough patch, you need to know that Jesus is rooting for you, that he's not giving up on you nor should you give up on him. That's verse 23. And then in verse 24, what wet ye out into the wilderness for to see? So the name of my sermon today is, what did you expect? What did you expect? And with, with that lingering, let's bow our heads, let's pray together, and then we'll dive into this. Father, we thank you this morning. We have a chance to be together to sing these songs, to pray. We want to lift up our missionaries that we support, especially that family out of our church. Continue to have your hand on them. Thank you for letting us be a blessing to those churches in Malawi. Lord, we ask you to come down and meet with us now. Thank you, Lord, that when we do have a rough patch, you don't give up on us. But Lord, now we, we want to turn our attention to what you had to say about John. We want to learn from it. Please speak to our hearts. Please help me to preach. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I don't know how many of you like golf. Do we have any golfers here? Anybody like golf? Okay, well, 
I, I got one, one uh, a few, few other unenthusiastic hands went up, but fair enough. If you like golf, maybe you know the name Lee Trevino. I, I think he's kind of worked himself out of the tour now, just, you know, age caught up with him. But Lee Trevino was a class act for years. And uh, one time he was out on a range, you know, during the tournaments, they, the, the pros will hit balls in between rounds just to sharpen up various problems in their game. And Lee Trevino was hitting balls on the range and a lady spectator just came to watch him practice. And this lady sat there and every time Trevino would, would rear back and whack, he'd hit that ball. If you've ever seen a pro golfer, play golf, it makes you want to quit. <laughs> I've been around a couple of pros and like amateurs, you know, people heading that way, and I thought, okay, if that's what golf is supposed to be, I'm not playing golf. <laughs> Whatever I'm playing is not actually golf because my ball does not do what their ball does when I hit it. But when you watch that ball, the Trevino would hit whack, and that thing would fly up and straight and perfect and beautiful, and that woman would, she just would, whoa. And then he hit another one, whack, and she'd go, ooh, and whack, and this went on for, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and finally Trevino turns around to her, <laughs> and, you know, it's starting to maybe get a little distracting. He says, listen, lady, what'd you expect, ground balls? <laughs> Which is a good question. I mean, he's a pro golfer. This is what the ball's supposed to do, so to him, this is just what, you know, another Thursday afternoon. This is not a big deal. But for, for her, this is just tremendous because like most amateur, you know, weekend golfers, that is not what our ball looks like when we hit it. But I like the question, what did you expect? And that's what Jesus is asking the crowd. Guys, you, you all, and, and he knows he's talking to a large group of people. And anytime you have a large group of people, you're going to have a multitude of opinions mixed in there. Some people liked John, some thought he was full of the devil, and everything in between. So now he's addressing the crowd, even after John got shook a little bit, and he's saying, guys, what, what exactly did you expect? Now, you know what I like about that lady watching Trevino hit the balls? She was interested in golf, right? And that is what brought on the, ooh, and ah, oh, that's why. She cared about golf. She was interested in golf. Most of us, right, if you don't like golf and you hear that story, it really doesn't resonate with you, does it? Because you've maybe never even hit a golf ball. So the fact that he hit the ball with a stick and it goes up in the air doesn't really ring your bell. Fair enough. Maybe that's not your thing. But you have the capacity, right? You, you can understand that when somebody's a professional and they're doing a good job, that is something to be appreciated, whatever the hobby or profession is. So you have the capacity to know what others tell you about it. You can understand a pro doing their job, but maybe you don't care about it. Do you understand? People talk to me about, you know, this cricket bowler. He came out and threw the ball like this, and it bounced like that, and I'm on the other end just like a cow looking at a new gate. I'm just... My, my usual response is, you don't say... What I mean to say is don't say, <laughs> because I don't know what any of that means. You're talking a brand new language to me. That might as well be the Yilmazatol. I don't know what that is. It, it's, it's confusing to me. No, that's fine. I can learn, and I can appreciate your capacity, right, to say this is how it goes, and, you know, when you get good at it, the ball can do different things. I have a capacity to understand what is revealed, but I don't care, right? You know the problem with, with us, and I, myself included, God starts doing some really big things right in front of us. 
And He tells us, this is what I'm doing. This is who you're looking at. And we have the capacity to go, okay, you said it was a big deal, but I don't care. So, why should I be all interested in that? Why is that a thing to me? And the people that went out to see John, many of them underestimated just how special he was. They had other expectations for what God should be doing, and they did not fully appreciate what God was doing. Perhaps that has been true of your life in the recent past that God's been doing some stuff. And you have the capacity. We can tell you, listen, God's interested in you. He wants to save you. He wants to change you. He wants to conform you. He wants to get a hold of you. He wants to use you. wants to put you into the ministry. Whatever that thing, thing is that God's been working. But, but then you have the capacity to hear that. But do you fully care? Jesus steps out and says, you know, do you know who you guys have been coming at? You've been coming to hear John preach for years. We don't know exactly how long, but it's possible that John was preaching for almost a dozen years by this point. People have been showing up, you know, almost like an entertainment kind of thing. Hey, what do you, get, what do you do in, you know, this, this Sabbath? You want to go hear that, that wild man preach out in the desert? You know, like, like it's a fun thing to do. And Jesus, I think what he's trying to get across in this passage is, guys, you have no idea just how special this guy is. Your expectations of what God is giving you here, your opinions of it is way lower than what he's actually doing. Verse number 24, we'll just walk through a few of these things. When the messengers of John were departed, he began to speak unto the people concerning John. What went ye out into the wilderness for to see? And then the first thing, a reed shaken with the wind. Some people had the idea of John that he was like, I think this is a common reputation, a common thought for most pastors, preachers, duomenes, that they're kind of wimps. They're kind of wimpy. Not, not like the restaurant, but you understand. <laughs> wimpy. If, if I'm going to use it, I'm going to alliterate today. He wasn't a pansy. Is it okay? Do you know what I mean by that? He, he, he wasn't a guy that would flip-flop. A reed... Shaken with the wind. So whatever is popular today, whichever way the popular winds are blowing, he goes this way. Whatever is interesting to talk about in churches, you know, whatever the big topic is, whew, he blows that way. You could not shake John easily. Look at how much it took just to get John to say, should we keep waiting? Are you the one? I mean, he had to be thrown into prison and just about to die to get a little shaken. Jesus is saying, now some of you guys, maybe you come to hear John because you want to see the preacher flake out. You want to catch John saying, I believe this one week, and then when that's no longer popular to believe, you shake to the other side and go, okay, no, 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 let me change my opinion so that you stay in the popular opinion crowd. Saying, guys, I don't know what you came to see, but John is not one of those flip-floppers. He's not a pansy. He's going to stand for what he believes, and he's going to stand by it no matter who heckles him. And it's not so common in churches, although this does happen. I've, I've seen it happen a couple of times. I've had it happen to me a couple of times. Have you ever been in a church where there's a heckler? You know what a heckler is? Somebody in the crowd that's trying to mess up and, and interfere and frustrate the speaker. Now, this happened much more back in the day before 
I'm not going to say before, but uh, when people would preach in the open air, this would happen quite a bit. John Wesley, do you know that name? Founder of the Methodist Church back in the 1700s. The first great awakening was going on in America with George Whitfield, but John Wesley was doing the preaching in England. He would have 10,000 people come to hear him preach in an open field. And Wesley would preach, and people would be walking by and hear the sermon and stand there for a bit, and they didn't like what he was saying. They'd take a tomato out and throw it at him. They would take bottles and throw it at him. He'd go home with a bloody head, busted head, because he'd get hit often in his preaching. That's a heckler. You know what John Wesley did? He just showed up the next time and kept preaching. He wasn't a reed shaken with the wind. People don't like you? Okay. That's not why I'm doing it. That's not why John the Baptist preached what he preached. I'm doing it because God called me to do it and Whatever the public opinion is of that, that's their opinion. Opinions are like armpits. Everybody has a couple and they all stink. <laughs> You're welcome to yours, but don't make them mine, right? <laughs> John Wesley wasn't going to stop. He'd go to preach in church and his wife would stand up halfway through the service and go, this man's a liar. He goes home and beats me. She was out of her head, just full of the devil. And she eventually did end up in a, in a sanatorium. She, she, she was going out of her mind. But that's what he had to deal with. You know what he did? He'd just get up and preach anyway. Peter Cartwright, name you may not be too familiar with, but in the 1800s, he was a circuit-riding preacher in America. And uh, as these various revivals would go about, he would travel from Kentucky to Tennessee, just horseback, going from city to city, place to place, town to town. And it was very common in these days, of course, when you get to town, there weren't a lot of church buildings. You would usually preach in the open air, or they, they would uh, set up a tent, you know, a very makeshift quick tent, or you would go to the most popular place in town and preach there, which was the tavern. Well, Cartwright, he was about six foot four, you know, well-built man. It was normal in these days, everybody considered preachers to be pansies. They were wimps, they, they would flip-flop, and that's just how people viewed them. So what would happen is this preacher would come to town, whoever he was, the tavern owner would find where this guy was, go to his church, go to his house, whatever it was, and beat that preacher up. And that way the people in town would not think much of the preacher. Well, Peter Cartwright knew this. So he thought, okay, I'll fix this problem before it starts. When he would go to town, he would go right to the tavern. And he would ask, who's the owner? And the guy would say, me, he'd say, come here. And he'd grab the guy, pull him over the bar, put him on the ground, and then he would start to sing. All, and while he was singing, he would be hitting the guy at the same time. He was very musical, he kept the beat. <laughs> All hail the power of Jesus' name, let angels run <laughs> And he would beat the fire out of that. Now, I'm not saying that's a good ministry technique. I'm not, I'm not in support of that. Cartwright was just dealing with a very unique and special situation. But hey, when he'd come to town, not a reed shaken by the wind. <laughs> he would take a young lady by the hand and, and, and you know, in the tavern, he'd say, Madam, would you like to dance? Yes, I'd like to dance. Pull her out and the band would strike up and he'd say, Now, before I ever do anything, I always pray and ask the Lord to bless it. So right in the middle of the dance floor, he'd get on one knee and start praying, but he'd hold her hand the whole time. And I don't know if you've ever heard an old-time Methodist pray. Ooh, but when they pray, the whole town knows that he's praying. So he'd say, oh, and I'm going to, 
I'm on a microphone, so I'm not going to. He'd say, oh, God, and he would pray. Help these poor, wicked sinners in this horrible hellhole of a place. Oh, God, save them all. He'd squeeze on tighter because she's trying to get away. They're all going to hell. They're going to bust hell wide open. Oh, God, save them. <laughs> By the end of his prayer, the dance floor is empty. <laughs> and there's that one young lady still terrified holding his hand. He would look up and say, would you like to get saved? <laughs> Not a reed shaken by the wind. These men were not afraid to stand for what was right. Take your Bible, hold Luke 7, get Luke chapter 3. That's John. That's John the Baptist. You could show up and say, hey, John, Herod doesn't like you very much. Hey, John, what do you think about what, Herod, what King Herod's doing? You know what, John? Most preachers would back off from that and go, if I start preaching, you know, speaking against whoever's in charge... If I start going against the popular opinion, I could get imprisoned. I could, this could hurt my ministry. John wasn't afraid to take a stand. Matter of fact, he'd go right into it. He got right in the face of Herod and said, King Herod, it is not lawful for thee to have her, pointing to his adulterous affair with his brother's wife. Here's a man that would take a stand. You wanted to know what he, what he thought, what the Bible said, what God had called him to do. It had no bearing what other people thought. He was just going to stand for truth. What about you? You get shaken by the winds of popular opinion. You get shaken by trends and what's in style. Or are you just going to stand for God's truth no matter who thinks what about it? Chapter 3, verse 1, Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iturea, and of the region of Trachonitis and Licinius, the tetrarch of Abilene, Annas and Caiaphas being the high priest. Watch this. All those big shots. The word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. You know why God's bypassed all those big shots with all the power? Because he knew John, when I give him the word, nothing's going to shake him. He's not, you see, the politicians, they got to campaign for the next election. They got to keep the popular vote. They got to stay in a certain, you know, mind, frame of mind with the people, not John. He was a reed that was not shaken by the wind. What did you expect? When you have a preacher that stands up and says, listen, this is right and this is wrong. The Bible says you ought to stop this. The Bible says you ought to do that. What does it say about our society when they constantly get offended when a preacher takes a stand? Folks, what about you? Is it all right? Hard preaching? Straight preaching? How does that sit with you? I mean, what do you expect when you show up to a church called Bible Baptist Church? We're going to give you some Bible. <laughs> Just this last week, they, you know, Gay Pride Month and all, they, they marched, they they had a, a, a march or a, pro, not a protest, I guess, but a, a march down the built, in the built. A bunch of the LGBTQAI plus community had this march right down the street, and a bunch of people came out on their balconies and were clapping and cheering them on. Did you know a church sponsored that? Now, it may not be very popular to say, listen, the Bible says homosexuality is wrong. It may not be popular, but it needs to be said. Can I also follow that up by saying they can be saved like anyone else? Yeah. 
because they, they have singled themselves out to say, we have our own community. You're still human like the rest of us. You made a choice. You made a choice. That's all you did. You don't get to be your own community based on that choice. The Bible says it's a sin. But just like any sin, you can be saved. God can change you. So, oh man, preacher, but that's one of those topics, you know, as soon as you start saying that stuff, what? <laughs> what? Th that is what the Bible says. I'm just wondering how much of a stand I need to take this morning. I, I, I can feel I've already lost about a, you know, a good amount of you here. <laughs> Let's see where else we want to go with this. Because sometimes it just needs to be said. So, sometimes the preacher needs to put his finger in the face of the king and say, that's just wrong. That's just wrong. It needs to stop. Hey, you guys been visiting the taverns? Just stop. Just stop. If you want to go and pray in the middle of the dance floor, that'd be fine. <laughs> Don't beat up the owner. Right? But just stop. The Bible talks about not fellowshipping with the unfruitful works of darkness. Just stop. A reed not shaken by the wind. A man who will take a stand. Now, you say, well, that's your job. You've said it. But what about you? How, how many times will you flip-flop just so that you can remain friends with somebody? Say, Brother Mike, you keep saying stuff like this and people won't come back. As soon as, listen, if you ever find me in a position where I say things to you so that you come back, don't come back. Don't come back. My job is to just take the stand that my, the Bible stands, and I want to stand on the Bible and, and say, that's where it is. That's where it is. You understand, I'm saying these things not, not, not in an attacking, get-you kind of way, but somebody's got to say it so that it can come right. John the Baptist stood up and said, repent. Jesus said, Repent. He just said, listen, change these things. This got to stop. Now, when, when, why should we back off from that? Now, this is something that Jesus found very commendable in John. Would he say that about you? Do you take that kind of stand? In your own life, your own sins, do you hate them? Or are they okay sometimes? Blown about, well, when I'm in this mood, it's okay. You know, when this is going on, it's okay. Probably not. John wasn't a reed shaken by the wind. Let's come back to Luke chapter 7. People are blown about by what's in style. People are blown about by popular opinion. If someone makes fun of them, they stop. Not John. Verse 25, what went you out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment. Now this is interesting the way Jesus word, words this. Because John wore camel skins. Not soft raiment. The exact opposite. Behold, they which are gorgeously apparelled and live delicately. To live delicately means you eat the delicate things. 
delicacies. You know what John ate? Locust and wild honey. <laughs> He's the exact opposite. End of verse 25, and live delicately are in king's courts. You know where John lived? Not in the king's court. He lived out in the wilderness. Do you know how many people would never go to John the Baptist church just because of the way he dressed? Most people would not go to John the Baptist church because of where his church was. You have to go out in the desert. You know, and that's why I say God's doing something, but John didn't have all the trimmings. It wasn't fancy flashing lights. It didn't, he wasn't easy on the eye, probably wasn't easy on the ear. He said some very pointed things and people go, hey man, whoa, that's kind of that's tough there. You know, not a whole lot of people say it like that. And, and people get this expectation, well, if we're going to go, you know, if there's going to be a powerful, influential person, then he needs to be dressed a certain way and, you know, he needs to have this kind of a building. And who made that rule up? Jesus said, now what'd you expect? Yes, John had a large following, and, and everybody knew that name, John the Baptist, but just because he was influential in that way doesn't mean that he's, he's going to play the part of a posh person. He wasn't a pansy. He wasn't posh. He wasn't polished. Listen, a sermon preached in a school hall is just as meaningful as a sermon preached in a coliseum or in a fancy church building. Modern-day listeners judge the value of a sermon based on the value of the building. You know how many times people will hear a sermon and they accept what's being said not because of what was said, but because where it was said. They even have it worked out now that at certain times, right when the praise and worship team is hitting a certain point, they have, they have certain light effects that they do to make you think that the glory of God is coming down, to make you think that heaven is shining. They turn the lights on at a certain time to produce a feeling. And then you stand up and say, Jesus saves, repent or perish. People go, oh, that's, that's just a bit too forward, and, you know, the lights didn't flash, and, uh, you know, I mean, look, look at that. It, look at how he's dressed. Look at the school hall. This is, what, 60-year-old building. This. And? What does that have to do with it? I think that's what Jesus is getting at. He says, you guys, you, you wanted a powerful, influential person, but then what, how do you judge powerful and influential? Does he need to dress a certain way? Does it matter where, where he's where he's standing when he does the preaching, we become very shallow in our expectations of what God will do and who he will use. Some of you might think that you're not in consideration for God's service because, well, I don't have the fancy trimmings. You don't need them. You need to have a strong backbone, a capacity and appreciation for the truth to stand up and say to anybody, anywhere, it doesn't matter what your position is, right is right. You must be born again. And I love you and that's why I'm telling you so. I love what Dr. Ruckman used to tell us. He'd say, listen, if it's, if it's right, do it. If it's wrong, quit it. And if you can't quit it, don't kick me. Go kick yourself. You're doing it. <laughs> Amen. That's just simple, right down the middle, right coming at, I want to say the plate, that's a baseball thing, coming at the wicket right there. Nice and easy to grasp. We don't need the fancy trimmings in order for God to do something special. 
God has often worked in the most obscure, strange places. Here Moses grew up in the court of Pharaoh, the king, educated in the best university in the land, U of E, University of Egypt. (laughs) And after that, he tried to deliver his people, right? His own efforts, his own education, he tried to deliver the people, didn't work. He had to spend 40 years on the backside of the desert just so that he would be obscure enough. And then God called him. Then he saw the burning bush. My pastor, Dr. Ruckman, before he, of course, he's with the Lord now, but he was an oddball. He was an oddball. He's not everybody's cup of tea. This is true. He, He was an oddball. To hear him on tapes and recordings, you would think he's about two meters tall and massively built and because he was such a a powerful speaker. And man, you talk about sharp. He would say some things and make, I mean, I don't mind taking a stand, but wow, he would say some things that were just borderline offensive, if not stepping over that border. He'd get up to preach. He was only about this tall, but I, I know it is five foot five. I don't know what that is in one point, whatever meters, but about five foot five, little guy. And he would, he would draw while he'd preach on Sunday nights. He'd have a big board. He was a professional artist, so he'd have chalk. And he'd, you know, ba- a black piece of charcoal. So he'd get that charcoal, and he'd be preaching and drawing at the same time. And then he'd turn around, and he'd, he'd, he'd you know, point at you with the charcoal. And he'd forget it was in his hand. Then he'd go up, you know, and he'd put it in his mouth for a while. Not, 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 not in a bad way. He just, you know, had to, do, had to open his Bible or something. He'd put the chalk in his mouth. And his lips would turn black. And, you know, and then he's, he'd, he'd rub his, his nose like this, and then he'd chalk, you know, the charcoal's all over it. So now he's got this black smudge on his face. And? Now, you, you look at that, you go, oh, shame, man, that's, that's horrible. Well, I mean, okay, I, I'm not suggesting it's a good idea to paint your face before you preach, but, and? He was just a man. You know what he used to do? He, in his 80s, he would stand on his head for 20 minutes every week. His thinking was you needed your blood rush, you know, your heart works extra hard to push blood up to your head. So you need to give your heart a break. Stand on your head. He didn't preach it as a doctrine. He just did it. He just did it. He was different. He was just different. He'd come to prayer meeting on Wednesday nights and go, all right, all right, now we need to pray for our missionaries. We need to pray for uh, this and that thing, you know, these important things. I, uh, guys, I need you to pray for my dog, Fritz. He's been looking a little down lately. <laughs> what? Why am I praying for your dog, Fritz? German shepherds. <laughs> he loved those dogs. <laughs> you go to his house, you would never catch him in a shirt and tie at his house. Overalls, coveralls. He'd be out there cleaning fish. He'd go out fishing all night, net fishing. Pull, pull it in, clean uh, the mullet. He'd have fish scales all over his hands. If he bathed twice in a week, that was a shock to me. <laughs> He's a different man. Different man. I've, by the time I got to Bible school, he'd already read his Bible through 250 times, and he stopped counting. He sat down. They asked him to read the Bible and put it on tape. You know how you have a, a Bible on CD or something? They asked him to do it because his, his, he did have a, a good speaking voice. He was a radio announcer for years before he got saved. He sat down to, to record the New Testament. When he did... Somebody came back to him and said, Doc, thank you for doing this, but you, you missed a verse. He went, oh, shame, man. I was afraid of that. I was doing it by memory. <laughs> he missed one verse. 
He's an oddball. But what'd you expect? God's men usually are. God's people usually are. This isn't a popularity contest. We're not here for the trimmings. I don't mind the trimmings, but we're not here for the trimmings. It doesn't make it any more true. Take your Bible, hold it in Luke 7. Get Amos chapter 7. Amos chapter 7. He wasn't a pansy. He wasn't polished. He wasn't posh. Amos chapter 7 and get verse number 14. Amos the prophet, he's been preaching against the state-run religion. It would be the same as preaching maybe against one of the three sisters, if you can think of it in that term. Amos 7 and verse 14. Now, now the, the high priest or the chief priest Amaziah, he had come out to Amos and said, stop preaching. By order of the king, you can see it in verse 13, prophesy not again anymore at Bethel. Bethel means the house of God. For it is the king's chapel. It is the king's court. He said, listen, don't you know where you're at? This is where the big boys play. Amos, don't be coming out here saying, thus saith the Lord, that you're not recognized by the king to do this. Verse 14, what an answer. Then answered Amos and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet. Neither was I a prophet's son, but I was an herdman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. He said, listen, I was out in the field minding my own business, herding some cattle, some sheep, and picking up fruit. That's all I was doing. So don't think that I'm in it just for the accolades and the pride and I went to the glit and the glamour. He said, that's not why I became a prophet. I was happy being a farmer. Ekesabursian. For Yelabursians, here you are. This is it. Verse 15, and the Lord took me as I followed the flock. By the way, when God calls you, he takes you. Amen. He takes you. The Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said unto me, Go, prophesy unto my people Israel. Now therefore hear thou the word of the Lord. Thou sayest, prophesy not against Israel, and drop not thy word against the house of Isaac. That's what the people were telling him. Stop preaching against us. Stop taking the stand. You read the first six chapters of Amos. It's tough. Man, he took a stand. This is a man's man. He says, you guys tell me to quit preaching, verse 17. Therefore, <laughs> since that's your attitude, therefore, thus saith the Lord, thy wife shall be an harlot in the city. <laughs> Amos, man, tone it down. Gah, that's rough. But he's right. Because if that's how you're going to play the game of spirituality, well, you know, come to the king's chapel, the king's court, to the house of God and make it sound right and go through the motions instead of telling people what they need to hear, that sin is bad, Jesus is good, you must be born again. If you don't preach that, then your family is going to end up in a mess. Your wife's going to end up a harlot in the city. That's the fruit of a bad spiritual attitude. That's the fruit of the wrong expectations for what it means to love God and worship God. Jesus is teaching us this morning, what do you expect? This is how God works. Through men like John. Through people that are unashamed of the truth. Let's finish Amos here. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, thy wife shall be an harlot in the city, and thy sons and thy daughters shall fall by the sword, and thy land shall be divided by line, and thou shalt die in a polluted land, and Israel shall surely go into captivity forth of his land. You guys tell me to stop preaching, so here's what... The Lord has to say about that, it's going to get even worse because you just don't want what God's giving you. 
He, he took a stand. Take your Bible, come back to Luke chapter 7, verse 26. Jesus gives us another thing. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Well, yes, many of them did. Many of them had heard that there was a prophet preaching out in the wilderness. It was a big deal because Israel had been waiting for 400 years. For 400 years. We call it the silent years. God did not raise up any prophets. And now finally, somebody has stood up and beginning to preach. And all of Israel is mumbling and rumbling about it. What do you think this is? This is a big deal. He says, do you guys want to go see the prophet? Verse 26, Yea, I say unto you, and much more than a prophet. You see, what do you expect? You expected maybe just a prophet. Oh, this is much more than a prophet. God starts to do something, and we tend to underestimate what he's doing. We tend to take it much less seriously than God desires us to take it. Verse 27, This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. This was not just your average prophet. This was the prophet prophesied to come into the world and make a, a path for the prophet like unto Moses. <laughs> this is a very special, unique prophet. And he's, he's paving the way for the people to receive Christ. Each prophet in the Old Testament, you don't read where, nobody prophesied that Isaiah would come. Nobody prophesied that Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, nobody prophesied the coming of those men. This guy was prophesied. He played an important role in God's plan. You want to see a prophet? Oh, much more than a prophet. But you know what the people did? They'd show up and they'd go, hey, hey, did you hear? There's a guy calling himself a prophet out in the wilderness. Man, he looks weird. He's got a long, scraggly beard. Sometimes if you look close enough, you can see a piece of locust stuck in the beard. He's got honey dripping down. He's wearing a camel skin girdle. I mean, he's a freak. Let's go see him. Let, let, let's see if we can throw something at him. Let's see if we can ask him a Bible question to trip him up. And, and others would go and say, well, let's, let's just go see, you know. It's probably just another one of those prophets like these other guys that stand up and say, you know, they're a prophet. Let's just go see. He was a novelty. He, he was just something new to talk about and be interested in but not to be reacted to. I want to show you something real quickly. Hold, hold this. Get Ezekiel chapter 33. Ezekiel chapter 33. Ezekiel 33, and let's get verse number 30. Ezekiel had a taste of what John the Baptist was going through. Some people figured he is a prophet, okay, but didn't really know the full extent of it, therefore considered him a novelty. Ezekiel 33, 30, Also thou son of man, the children of thy people still are talking against thee by the walls and in the doors of the houses, and speak one to another, every one to his brother, saying, Come, I pray you, and hear what is the word that cometh forth from the Lord. Now, what's wrong with that? If you just had verse 30, you would say, people are chit-chatting about the Bible and want to go hear it. But, but look at the attitude, verse 31. And they come unto thee as the people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people, and they hear thy words, but... They will not do them. 
For with their mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. Think John's a prophet? Yeah, probably is. Want to go hear him preach? Yeah. Don't have anything else to do? Sure, let's go hear him preach. You want to do what he said? Uh, that really doesn't fit into my schedule. You want to change your life according to what he said? Ah, but look at him. I don't want to follow his example. I got a comfortable life. I don't want to end up a preacher in the wilderness with camels. I don't want to end up like that. Verse 32, And lo, thou art unto them as a very lovely song of one that hath a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear thy words, but they do them not. Just like a song on the radio, it comes and goes. That was fun to listen to, but that's as far as it goes. Is he a prophet? Sure. Man, he tells good stories. He made me laugh, and that's as far as it goes. They had no intention of doing anything about what he said. What do you expect? To just go to church and listen, and that's all God wants? Is that what you think God expects? God wants much more than that. He put the words in the prophet's mouth to change your life. They, they, they must be acted upon. Verse 33, And when this cometh to pass, lo, it will come. Then shall they know that a prophet hath been among them. Everything that God, all the destruction and stuff, he says that stuff's going to come to pass. Then they'll know. It, it'll be too late, but then they'll know. Then they'll know. What'd you expect? You, you know where we're at in our modern day society? We want to come to a church and we want a cheerleader, not a pastor. You want a life coach, not a preacher. And I say you, forgive me, I'm using the general, you know, just you in the sense of the public. That's what folks want. They want somebody to come in and give them an uplifting message that makes them feel better about the pig pen they're living in. And perhaps the greatest thing that can ever be done for you is to somebody say, look, you're in a pig pen. Maybe, just maybe, that's what you need just to snap you out of it, to say this, this nonsense you've been doing for year after year, you know it's wrong, now quit it. Stop it. What'd you expect? You rebel against God for multiple years, 10 years, 20 years, just living this so-so lukewarm, comfortable Christian life, and you expect Jesus to show up and just pat you on the back of the hand and go, no, you're just fine, just fine, just fine. Oh, just, just, just no, you're just fine. Jesus is saying, and you, you guys you might see that John has been rattled a little bit, but don't think that he's some weak, need, wimpy preacher. Oh, this guy holds a special place. Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. Jesus says in verse number 28, For I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. For he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Oh, that verse is loaded, eh? Verse 28, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. What did the people expect? A reed, a posh, powerful, influential guy. A prophet, just another guy to stand up and, you know, give them a sermon and let them go on about their business. He says, guys, you're looking, that crazy guy out in the wilderness, that's the best of all of God's men. The best one that's ever been. That's not what the public thought. 
Now, that point has already been made. Just think about how great John was for a moment. Filled with the Holy Ghost before he was born. Whoa. <laughs> Grew up in the wilderness. Reserved for one purpose in his life. Just to serve God. That's all that he did. Think about that. What a calling. What a life worth living. Now look at the last part of the verse. But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. I don't know about you, but when I read this passage and I get halfway through verse 28, I'm blown away. Okay, God, that's what you want. That's, that's what you consider to be a great man. Good. But then, then he looks down at you and me. And he says, but you, you're greater than John. Yeah, you didn't expect that, did you? <laughs> What'd you expect? Not that. I didn't expect the passage to end like that. Now, the kingdom of God works two ways. Number one, the physical kingdom when Jesus comes back and sets up his political kingdom on this earth. John the Baptist got to see Jesus when he came to the earth, but Jesus wasn't in, in charge, was he? The Romans were in charge, right? So, so John got to see Jesus, tremendous privilege. But he got to see Jesus in this humbled servant form, doing great miracles, but still nothing compared to what you and I are going to see one day when Jesus comes back riding on that white horse, crowned with many crowns, vesture dipped in blood, and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords, and a sword coming out of his mouth, and he's seated upon the throne of his father David, and the word of the Lord going forth from Jerusalem, and all nations flowing unto Mount Zion to hear the word of the Lord, and they beat their swords into plowshares, and their pruning hooks, and their spears into pruning hooks, and now the world has gone after Christ. John didn't get to see that. When Jesus says, you are greater because you're in the kingdom of God, he's not talking about greater in character. He's talking about greater in privilege. We have a greater privilege than John the Baptist because one day in that physical kingdom of God, we get to see Jesus in a way that John never got to see. But furthermore, the kingdom of God is not only physical and political, it's also spiritual. Paul taught us that the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So when you become saved, you're in the Spirit, you are now part of that spiritual kingdom where God rules in your heart. Now John, yes, he was filled with the Holy Spirit from before his birth. He had a walk with God, much like many of us, but there are many things we have spiritually that John didn't. And that's why Jesus can say something like, he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. Not greater in character, greater in privilege. Let me, let me give you a couple thoughts. We are regenerated children of God. You, if you're saved, you're a regenerated child of God. John wasn't. He was not born again the same way we are. He had a different relationship with the Lord. We are sealed unto the day of redemption. John didn't have that. We have the hope of the rapture. There's a chance we won't die. John didn't have that. We are seated in heavenly places far above all principalities and powers. John didn't have that. We are citizens of heaven. John didn't have that. 
The Son and the Spirit are praying for us. You realize that? Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. John didn't have that. Guys, do you realize what a privilege this is? What we have? You have the capacity to hear these things, but do you care? Do you stand back and go, ooh, ah, look at that great promise. Look at that great truth. I can't look at... Or do you just go, yes, 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 I've heard this. We are partakers of the divine nature. We have been joined to the Lord and we can never be separated. (laughs) What? John the Baptist didn't have that. Listen to this one. My sins are washed away. I've been forgiven. My sins are paid for. They've been taken away. I've been redeemed. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I've been redeemed. I'm, I'm purchased by God. I belong to Him. And He'll never give me back. He'll never resell me. I'm His. And that will never change. John the Baptist, for all the privilege he had, he didn't have access to what you and I have access to. Now, what are your expectations? You say, well, I want God to do this and this and this in my life. What if you just stop and look at what He's already done? Look at what He's given you. Just say, my goodness, God, I had no idea. The way you work, the people you use, the things you've done for me, I've just underestimated. I've been looking for my version of what church and religion and spirituality, I've been looking for my version of it. But that's the way you want to operate. And that's the way you're working in me. God help us to change our expectations to meet that of Christ. The question this morning, what did you expect? You get in Christ today if you were to get saved You have no idea the exceeding abundant goodness, the riches of His grace that would come down on you. But when you get connected to Christ, what do you expect? He is the beloved Son of God. To be accepted in the beloved far surpasses anything you could hope for in this life. Let's all stand, if you would, please. Heads bowed and eyes closed. take just a moment to think on this you know a lot of times when you stand to preach you you plan to say it one way and then it comes out a different way that's just, that's just life. That happens. You don't have to be a preacher to know that, that it happens. It happens to you too. You know, it's not about how polished the sermon is. You know what it's about? What did God say to you today? What did God say to you? What, the question was, what did you go out to see? So let me ask it in your life today. What did you come to church to hear? 
what did you want? If you came saying, God, speak to me. Show me what I need to change. Show me what I can do. Remind me of how good you've been to me. Maybe you can look past the unpolished sermon and look for that nugget, that one thing God wanted to give you today. A couple people have come to pray. If you would like to pray, if you want to come to the altar, you're welcome to do so. You know why we take a stand like we do? You know why we do that? So that people that want to come right with God know where right is. That they know where the line's at. I, it would be so much easier for me to stand up and just stroke your ego. So many more people would want to come hear that message but it wouldn't be right. This morning, I'm not trying to be popular. I'm, I'm trying to help. God, I'm trying to say what you told me to say. Whew, Lord, I, I just want to stand true to that. Lord, thank you for looking past our weak moments like you did with John. Lord, I thank you that you can use anybody if they'll just stand. If they won't worry about the trimmings and the froth and the frills of it all and just do what's right. God, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for the privilege we have being in the kingdom of God. One day we're going to see you sitting upon that throne. And it will be worth it all when we see that. But even now, God, all that you've given us because you've baptized us into the body of Christ, how could we ever thank you enough? Lord, the nugget that you set aside for each person today, please make sure they go home with it. Help us, Lord, to put into action something that we've heard. Take it to heart. Let it change us. Father, as we go about our day, help us to meditate on these things. Let them sink deep in our hearts. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, folks, thank you for being here this morning. Lord willing, we'll see you.